today's episode of After the Honeymoon, we join Scott and Amanda Smoocher just as Amanda gets home from work. Hey, hon. We got a package at the back door. Did you order something from Blender Basement again? Oh, the back door. Here, let me see it. Scott, dearest, didn't we say we're going to start tightening our belts to save up for building the addition? Yeah. Why? Look, Amanda, isn't it beautiful? The Smoothie Samurai 3000. On the commercial, it says it's so powerful, you can blend a 2x4 with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could think of something else I'd like to do with a 2x4 right now. Scott, would you please think about what's best for us once in a while? What are you talking about? This is for us. I can make my smoothies for breakfast, and you can make your protein shakes. Why do you have to be such a killjoy whenever I get something fun for us? Because I'm thinking of our lives after breakfast. You may want to try that sometime. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I can't hear you. Wait, what are you doing? Ah, the smoochers, they're having a little conflict. A couple of months ago, someone sent the following story to me that I'd like to share with you. It reads, a middle-aged couple were in a busy shopping center just before Christmas. The husband wandered off as she was standing in line, saying something about being back in a little bit. Well, after getting through the line, the husband hadn't returned, and since they still had more shopping to do, the wife called him on his cell phone. She asked, where are you? He said, do you remember that jewelry store we went into about 10 years ago? And you fell in love with that diamond necklace? I couldn't afford it at the time. And I said that one day I would get it for you? Tears started to flow down her cheeks. She got all choked up. Yes, I do remember that, she excitedly replied. Well, great. Well, I'm in the golf shop next to that, he responded. <laughs> now, I think that's a really funny story. But, sadly, it, often, it represents the insensitivity that we husbands often have to our wives and the way they're thinking and feeling. The Bible tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it tells us to live with them in a tender way, uh, as with a more delicate vessel. But let's face it, sooner or later, as we saw two weeks ago, desire is inevitably going to lead to disappointment and to discouragement. And the truth is, Every relationship, whether you're talking a, a marriage or whether you're talking friendship, whether you're talking co-workers or classmates or neighbors, every relationship, trust me on this, will eventually have conflict. But you know what I've discovered through years of life? It's not the conflict this itself that is the enemy. In fact, I would encourage you to adopt that same philosophy conflict itself is not the problem. That's just a part of being human. The important question is, when conflict comes, and it inevitably will, how do we manage it? 
How do we handle it? Does it de-escalate into deep strife that breaks the relationship? Or do we handle it constructively in a way that even deepens and improves the level of the relationship? That is the question we need to grapple with today. And that's what I want to talk with you about. Now, I just want to tell you up front, when it comes to conflict, this may sound a little strange to some of you, but I am an incorrigible optimist. I am so optimistic when it comes to conflict. And here's why. I don't have my head stuck in the sand. No, I'm not living some naive existence out of touch with true life in the world. No, no, no. I'm an incorrigible optimist when it comes to conflict because here's the truth. I've seen God work through conflict in redemptive ways. Some of you have too. In fact, I'm talking to some couples right now, and you know your story better than anyone. God has helped you work through conflict, and he's brought you to a better place because of it. Praise be to God. But I realize today that I'm also talking to some couples or some friends out there, and even now you're in the midst of some incredible conflict. Well, I, I believe that God has hope for you, and I believe that God has some things to teach all of us today from his word about how to handle conflict constructively. So let's get started. First, let me give you a little bit about the general background of the passage we're going to talk about today. We're studying today the story of David and his wife, Mishal. Now, unusual name, right? Not one we're accustomed to. But Mishal, or as the Hebrew word truly is to be pronounced, Mikal, like that. Hebrew is a language that has a lot of deep guttural sounds that are pretty difficult for a Tennessean to make, all right? I want to tell you right now. And uh, if you don't believe this, you can look it up online and maybe check it out yourself. It is really an unusual sound. It sounds like you're clearing your throat when you say her name. It really does. Mishal, all right? And uh, just to make it a little easier, easier for us, I'm going to put it in its closest English equivalent, all right? And I'm going to call her from now on, anytime we see Michelle's name, I'm going to call her Michelle, all right? Is that a deal? Just to make it a little easier, so, so please understand what I'm doing. I'm just trying to uh, transfer it or transliterate it a little bit into English, so David and Michelle are going to be an example to us today of how not to handle conflict. If you're new to this series, what we're doing here is looking at a biblical couple each week. And in some cases, we're going to learn from their positive example, but as in today's case, I think we can learn some powerful lessons from David and Michelle's negative example. And I, and I pray that we'll come away with some wisdom that we can take home with us about how to handle conflict more constructively. Now, let me just say up front that David and Michelle didn't always have a troubled relationship. In fact, at first, it was pretty awesome. They were kind of a power couple, if you will. David had actually won the privilege of marrying Michelle, who was a real catch, she was Saul's daughter. Saul, by the way, was the king of Israel. 
So you've got here a person with tremendous resources, potential, and opportunity. And David wins her hand by being a hero in battle. He had killed a hundred or so of the enemy, and he had done that in order to win the right to marry her. And so they were in love with each other. Uh, this was the couple that everyone was talking about. They would today be on the front of all the tabloids with all the gossip going around, but with everybody really envying them secretly. But something happened early in their relationship, and Saul became insanely jealous of David's rising popularity. So here's the deal. David had in-law problems right off the bat. He had to literally, literally run for his life from his father-in-law. He had to run for his life from King Saul and live out in the desert and out in caves as Saul sought to take his life. During those years of being on the run, he and Michelle were obviously separated during that time. And when David, when Saul finally was killed and David came back, he found that his wife had actually been married off to another man. And he demanded, he demanded that she be returned to him as his wife. Now, if you have a Bible of your own, I want you to take it out and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And as you're finding that, let me give you a little bit of the immediate conflict of this particular situation. Here's what's happening specifically. David has taken an army of 30,000 men, and they go out to recapture the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was that most special piece of furniture that was in the temple, actually in the Holy of Holies. Inside of it was Aaron's rod, which budded some manna from their time in the wilderness, and perhaps most important was the Ten Commandments that had been etched in stone by God himself. All those things were within the Ark of the Covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, glory overshadowing the, what was called the mercy seat. Now, here's what you need to know about that. This is where God's presence dwelled in a special way. Are you beginning to see why this was such a valued object? This is where God's Shekinah glory dwelt, and it seems that God's blessing came to Israel whenever they had that ark in their possession. But it had been captured by the enemy, by the Philistines, and Israel had not had it in its possession for some time. So here's the goal. David goes out to recapture the ark, and he is successful. And as he's bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, trust me, folks, this is a celebration like you've never seen. This is an historic day, not only in David's life as king, as now the previous king has died, Saul, he's now the new king, and he wants to make Jerusalem his political headquarters, and bringing the ark back is going to sort of make that complete. But I want you to pick the story up with me in verse 14, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, here's what's happening. David took off his heavier outer garment because he was kind of getting hot. He was getting kind of sweaty. He wanted more freedom to be able to move. He wanted it to not be so warm in his clothing. He takes off the outer garment and dances around in sort of his undergarment. And Michelle, who's watching from the palace window, believes that he's gone across the line. This has become inappropriate and their conflict over that act causes a crack in the foundation of their relationship that, as we'll see, was never truly mended. It's amazing sometimes the sources of conflict that destroy relationships, isn't it? Sometimes we find ourselves fighting over things that in retrospect seem to be a little silly, actually, But today, as we study this incident, I want us to learn three powerful lessons in handling conflict in our own relationships. And I'm convinced that this is very personal and that it's going to be very, very powerful for many of you because, as I said, many of you are in the midst of the crucible of conflict right now. So let's get started. Principle number one, deal with conflict quickly but kindly. And the kindly part is the part I want you to kind of focus on. If you're writing down notes, you want to write that word in quickly, but kindly. Let's read on in the story. Verse 16 and following. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Wow. Wow. Her statement is dripping with sarcasm. Now, to help us appreciate what's happened here, imagine your favorite college team, whether football, basketball, baseball. They've just won the NCAA National Tournament, Division I, and a celebration is on. There's a big trophy leading the way. The music is pumping. The DJ's thumping, man, everybody's dancing. They're getting into this celebration. The whole city's getting into it because they're the victors. And the captain of the team, David, is leading the celebration, and he is dancing. And at some point, 
he crosses the line in modesty as he kind of gets caught up in the excitement of the moment. That's similar to what's happening here. David had had some huge victories over the Philistines, but never had there been a moment like this. I mean, this is huge. They've just retrieved the Ark of the Covenant. But Michelle is watching from the palace window, and verse 16, I hope you notice, says, when she saw him dancing, she despised him in her heart. And now the conflict is on. Michelle does one significant thing right. She approaches this subject rather than letting it fester. She doesn't wait for hours. She doesn't wait for days or weeks, as many of us are tempted to do when we're upset. No, when David comes walking through the door, there she is waiting for him, and she talks to him. No, the problem is not that she confronted him. In fact, as I hope you'll see, there was justification for confrontation. The problem is not what she did, it's how she did it. And the same is often true with us. Let me say it again. Conflict is not the enemy. It's how we deal with conflict that can make all the difference as to whether it's destructive or constructive. She begins with a very sarcastic statement. My, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today The bottom line is she's not being very kind here. She's being extremely sarcastic and cutting. One marriage expert wrote, the number one rule in marital conflict is this, be nice. (laughs) Be nice. If you can manage to be nice to your spouse when you're in conflict, then the odds are likely that you'll be able to work through things. David comes home excited, but Michelle is not celebrating. She's angry. Perhaps she's jealous. Perhaps there's a lot of baggage that is kind of being unearthed here, stuff related to her father and the conflict that went on. And perhaps she's thinking, look, David, you embarrassed me. I mean, that's not kingly behavior, dude. I mean, I don't want you out there dancing in your whitey tidies. I don't. I don't want you out there showing that much skin in front of those young girls. What were you thinking? Not a positive word about the conquest. Not a positive word about how huge this day was or about how proud she should be of David. She failed to balance the negative with the positive. So I want us to be very clear right up front. Michelle has a right to be upset. Any spouse should feel wronged if their mate is acting like they're single or showing more skin than they should. There are sites for your spouse privately that shouldn't be uh, shared with others publicly. No matter how successful you've just been in business or sports or anything else. But let's give Michelle some credit. She dealt with this promptly. And by the way, that's a biblical principle I hope we'll all learn. If you're going to be good at handling conflict, you can't let it fester. 
He can't let it go and go and go until you're just ready to explode and you're out of control. Those who handle conflict best handle it quickly, promptly. They keep, as I like to say, short accounts with each other. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 reads, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. There's a couple of important things we need to get from that. First of all, as Christians, we need to, and by the way, I'm saying this because I hear a lot of people who apparently don't get this from the Bible. We need to understand from this, it is entirely possible to be angry and yet not sin. Yet I've had many, many otherwise wise Christian leaders even say to me, oh no, it's a sin to be angry. It is not a sin to be angry. Let's nail that down. It is not a sin to be angry. The question is, what are you angry about? And how are you handling that anger? Folks, there's some things that go on in this world that are so unjust and wicked, if you're not angry about it, I question your integrity. If you're not angry about it, I wonder what kind of character you actually have. It is not a sin, trust me, to be angry. This says, be angry, but don't sin. In your anger, do not handle it in such a way that it leads you into sinful attitudes or behavior. Jesus himself is a beautiful example of this. Jesus got angry according to the Gospels. On at least two occasions, he got very angry, angry with hypocritical religious leaders, and on at least a couple of occasions, he had incidents in the temple where he was very angry. But if you read the story carefully, you'll see in at least one Gospel account that Jesus carefully thought through this. He went into the temple the evening before. He didn't explode with anger, out of control with rage. No, no. He saw what was going on. He thought it through. He no doubt prayed through it. And then the next day he goes and cleared the temple. It was very controlled and focused anger. Let me ask you, what is it that makes you angry? And would the things that make you angry make Christ angry? That is an important question. But a second thing we need to get out of this passage is our main point here, and that is dealing with conflict quickly. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let it fester. As I shared with you two or three weeks ago, Debbie and I have attempted to do this in our marriage relationship. And as I said, one time we did stay awake 17 days at one stretch trying to work through something. No, seriously, seriously now, we had many times, we've had many times where we stayed up into the wee hours of the morning trying to talk through, trying to have a conversation and come to peace and come to reconciliation over something. But we were determined, especially in those early years when these conflicts were so common, we were determined, look, we're going to obey this principle. And I tr trust me, there were times three, four, five o'clock in the morning, we're finally going to sleep because we were determined to work through it. Now, I would say to you that there are times when you can't literally stay up until it's resolved. 
And by the way, the deeper and more serious the conflict, the longer it's generally going to take to work through it. So there have been rare occasions, times, and I would encourage you to do the same, when we simply say something like this to each other, I'm tired. This is so important, though. Uh, We need to make a time when we return to this issue and work it through. But right now, I feel that we're both so exhausted, we probably aren't making much progress here. Let's, Let's get some sleep, but let's not let this just sit. I would be available at 10 o'clock tomorrow. Would you be available then when we can return and together work through this? And I would encourage you to do the same thing if you literally can't work it through before you need to go to sleep. Folks, our tendency is to avoid conflict. Our tendency is to say, well, She isn't bringing it up. I'm not going to bring it up. Well, he hasn't mentioned it in a while, so, oh boy, I'm not going to go there again. And the problem is, 12 days later, two weeks later, we have another conflict, and we go right back to the other conflict that we never resolved. Deal with conflict promptly, quickly but do it in a kind way. A second principle I believe that's very important from this is deal with conflict thoroughly, but not vindictively. Thoroughly, but not vindictively. Verse 21 reads, David said to Michelle, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Now, David's comment has a veiled insult in it. He reminds her that he was chosen to replace her father as Israel's king. It's almost like he's pointing out to her how much better he is than her father was and that she's probably got daddy issues that she needs to deal with. That's what's really going on here. How much better? How much better it would have been if David had responded something like this. Oh, Michelle, honey, I'm, I'm hearing you say that something about how I was celebrating out there today really bothered you and upset you. I, I'm so sorry about that. That matters to me. I, I, care, I care deeply about how you feel. I, I'm committed to you. We're in this for life. We Obviously, both of us, I know you do as well as I, want the best relationship possible. Tell me, do you have time to share with me what's, what was it? What was it that I did, and why did it make you so upset? And then really listen, and then really feed back, and try to understand where she's coming from. But, but David did nothing of the sort. Michelle's response, how she handled it was bad, The way David handled it was bad, and it just de-escalates from there. You see, in David's mind, this probably wasn't about his dancing in the street. This was probably about a whole host of other things from the past. It had something to do with Saul. And so he's dragging her dad into the discussion. Have you noticed how we get historical when we fight? We get historic. We don't always get hysterical, but we get historical. 
We bring up all the stuff from the past and spouses become ingenious in how to just pick the right thing at the right time just to try to stick it to our spouse. What David's really saying here, look, I may not be a perfect husband, but let me tell you something, chick. This is what he's saying. It's in the Hebrew, it really is. <laughs> let me tell you something, chick. I'm a far better husband than your dad was. I mean, that guy was ridiculous. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Michelle. I think that's what the Hebrew paraphrase really means, something like that. If you're accustomed to playing the comparison game when you get into conflict, why don't you make it your goal today to say, we're not going to do that anymore. Doing comparisons never really help. The comparison game is a dead end that will lead you only to more conflict. And you'll end up talking about stuff that has nothing to do with what made you fight in the first place. You know, isn't that common in conflict to get off of the key issue? Isn't it common? Have you ever found yourself in a struggle with your spouse and, and, and an hour later you're still arguing and, and, and you're still angry and, and, and suddenly you think, what did we start talking about in the first place? What, what, how did this all begin? Because you've gone on so many other topics, you don't even remember what the original topic was. And when David and Michelle argue about David's dancing before God, she attacks his character and he criticizes her father. When you have conflicts, do your best to stick to the issue. Because when you bring up other things, hurts from the past, other unresolved issues, it's only going to de-escalate. Debbie and I have a little saying we try to, try to follow when we're in conflict. And here's the saying, let's deal with one issue at a time. Let's deal with one issue issue at a time. Oh, that other issue may need to be, yeah, we may need to talk about that another time, but let's deal with one issue at a time and let's stay on point. And then David says something pretty ridiculous in verse 22. He says, I will become even more dignif undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. What, what does that mean? That's kind of a strange statement. It's actually a bit irrational. What's he saying? He's essentially saying, oh, you had a problem with that? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'll show you. I'll show you. I can do what I want, Michelle. I'm in charge here. You thought that was bad? Oh, listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he says, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. What a foolish statement to make. And now David is about to sink to an all-time new low with what he says next. He says, you know what? You may, not have liked my, you may not have liked my celebratory dance that I gave, but the girls down there on the parade route, they liked it. They will hold me in high honor. Just a quick word to all the husbands out there. Gentlemen, note to self, don't say that. <laughs> note to self, 
do not use a line like that. Well, the girls at work love it when I fill in the blank. Don't go there. It will not go well for you. Or ladies, the same with you. Well, you know, the men down at the office, they love it when I, uh uh-uh, don't go there. But that's the kind of foolishness that David has sunk to here, and he's chipping away at the very foundation of the marriage relationship. First principle, handle conflict promptly but kindly. Second, handle it thoroughly but not vindictively. But let's wrap up with this one final lesson Deal with conflict honestly, but forgive. But forgive. You know what I dare to believe? I dare to believe that David and Michelle's difficulty could have turned out very differently. I dare to believe that their marriage could have stood this test and gone on strong and healthy. They needed to be honest about what was stirring in their hearts. But once it was out there, then the hardest part of all begins. Once you've said what you need to say, once Michelle has said, look, David, I've got to be honest with you. I was just disgusted when I saw you dancing like that, and you weren't dressed properly. And maybe he had said what he needed to say, well, hon, I hear you, but Listen, you haven't said a word about what a great day this is. You haven't said anything about being proud of me. Do you know that wasn't a piece of cake just to go and get that ark back? And, you know, I thought of all people, of all people, my wife would be able to celebrate this accomplishment with me, but no. Once they've said some of the things they need to say, You've got to eventually come to the point of reaffirming your love and offering forgiveness. You know, I wonder if things might have worked out differently for them if they had just heeded the words of David's son Solomon, written some years later, where he wrote in Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We've all had disappointing moments or seasons when we've disappointed our spouse. I know I certainly have. I've disappointed Debbie many times. But a marriage cannot survive without forgiveness because if you don't have forgiveness, it's going to lead to bitterness One of the saddest verses in this whole episode is verse 23, where it says, And Michelle, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her birth. Some people believe that that was because God struck her with the inability to have children or something because of her sarcasm. I I think that's not true. I, I, I think that both David and Michelle carry significant responsibility here. And if you want to place blame, it lies at both of their feet. You know what I think? I think this is just a statement of fact. I believe that she never conceived because they never were intimate again. This conflict had a devastating impact on their relationship, and it never really recovered. 
You know, one of the things that David and Michelle should have learned and that we all can learn is that we don't go into conflict with a win-lose attitude. I'm going to win, you're going to lose. If somebody's got to win and somebody's going to lose, I'm going to be the one who wins. And you just begin to go for the jugular. That's the wrong approach. It's not going to lead to a redemptive outcome. A win-win attitude's a whole lot better. I want you to win, and I believe that as you win, you know what? I can win too. Because as our relationship gets stronger through this, as we get healthier, we're both going to win. Chip Ingram makes a statement that I absolutely love. He says, marriage is not a debate to be won. It's a dance to be enjoyed. So let me ask you as we close today, how are you enjoying the dance of marriage? And how are you dealing with the conflict in your relationship? Debbie and I are a little jet lagged today. We've been on a mission trip for the last 12 days and our bodies think it's like six hours from now, okay? So if, uh, we're, we're trying to get our systems adjusted. We got back late Thursday night and we're trying to deal with the time change. But we spent 12 days in Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and a brief time in Serbia. And we talked to church leaders in the evangelical uh, churches there all over those uh, countries. Had some amazing meetings. I did some preaching. Last Sunday, I preached in the town of Chaplinga in Herzegovina. And then we traveled a few hours Sunday evening. I preached in, on the island of Korchula in the Adriatic Sea. And we had just a marvelous reception, just some great ministry opportunities and it was just one of those trips you'll never forget. But you know, we had a moment that for me was a powerful moment because it reminded me of the power of forgiveness in relationships. You see, on this trip, as we were traveling through these war-torn countries that 20 years ago that were at war with each other in some of the ugliest kind of war you'll ever see, ethnic cleansing and genocide going on, we saw hundreds of houses, hundreds of houses, that were simply skeletons of brick and stone where the house had been burned and bombed and the families expelled. You have 10 minutes to get out or you'll be shot. Hundreds of houses like that. And one day when we were sitting with some church leaders in the town of Mostar, where some of the most intense fighting had gone on back in the war in the 90s, it suddenly occurred to me that we're sitting here with an example of the power of forgiveness and God's amazing grace. One leader we're sitting with, Schmidt, is a full-blooded Serbian. Another leader we're sitting with, Damir, is a full-blooded Croatian. They were at war with each other 20 years ago. And the other leader sitting there with us, Dalibor, is his father is Serbian and his mother is Croatian. He said, nobody liked me. I was getting shot at from both sides. I had literally no friends. Couldn't trust anyone. And so as we sat there and talked, you know, here's an example. Guys who are now totally at peace, brothers in Christ, serving the Lord together, and 20 years ago, they'd have been cutting each other's throats. That's the power of forgiveness. That's the power 
of the gospel. And I say to you today, if your marriage is troubled, if you're having an unusual amount of conflict, I'm telling you, the God of peace has a plan for you. And if he can bring former enemies together as friends, he can work out the troubles in your relationship too. But it will require forgiveness. I want to say to you, God loves you today. And he loves you just as you are. You don't have to change to get him to love you. God loves you just as you are. But can I tell you one last truth as we close? God loves you too much to leave you as you are. And he dealt with the conflict that existed between you and him. He dealt with it at the cross as he went there and abolished all the hostility Everything that stood between reconciliation, between a true friendship between you and, and God. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So you can be at peace with him today. If you'll only give him a chance in your life. Father, help us today. Help us today to receive your peace. To understand that you did for us at the cross everything necessary to reconcile us to a holy God. Thank you for your amazing love and that you love us just as we are. And thank, us that, thank you that because of your grace, we can be at peace with you. All the hostility can be gone. So I pray for every heart that we would yield to you and that you would do your work in our lives and in our relationships. In Jesus' name. Amen.